We're going to be talking this morning uh, more about the Passion Week and some teaching Jesus did during that. And uh, this, um, we're going to be reading from Matthew 24, and it has to do with the end times and what it's going to look like at the second coming of Christ. And so that's a, um, you know, any time when there's, when there's things like in the news that we, we hear about every day now, wars and rumors of wars and all those things that Matthew chapter 24 talks about, people naturally start to go, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And, and so we're going we're gonna to lean into it just a little bit today and, and figure out how the church should think about it, how you and I should be thinking about it, and how we should be living our lives in light of Jesus coming, returning. And I'd like to think of it as uh, just being ready, being ready for him to come back. Amen. This will not be a prepper Sunday, just in case. Um, And I'll tell you why here in a little bit. But I'd like to first uh, say welcome to our church online family. Uh, It's growing. So if you could give them a big uh, welcome this morning. We got those, uh, uh, all the firefighters over there at Fort Detrick are joining us today. And, and I actually have some new friends in New Hampshire joining us for the first time this morning. So that's a, that's a neat thing, yeah. All over the place. And uh, we're thankful for the reach God is allowing us to have and allowing you to have. And I think that's a big deal. Amen. I want to let you know that Matthew chapter 24 is a very debated part of the Bible because there's some of Matthew chapter 24 that seems to have already taken place in about AD 70 with the destruction of the the Jewish temple there. Yeah. So, So when scholars look at this, it's like there's some stuff that's already happened, but in this, but stuff that's yet to happen in Matthew chapter 24. Everybody following me? So we're going to read it in that context and, and um, understand that, that people in the first century who witnessed some of these things uh, would have thought some of this came true at that time. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 24, starting verse 36, which deals with the latter part of Jesus' prophecy. So why don't we stand to our feet in honor of the word this morning. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 36. Say amen if you're ready. Well, that was pretty good. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. Look at your neighbor and say, stay awake. For you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, 
that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that today you'd give us a sense of urgency. Lord, that every day is closer, is a day closer to your return than we truly can't predict it, but we can't anticipate it. To help us to live is those who are anticipating your return pray that you put this word deep into our hearts today and let it change us. In Christ's name we pray and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Matthew records five distinct long teachings. The gospel of Matthew records these five sections of really long teachings of Jesus and they're called the five discourses of Matthew. Matthew starts out, Sermon on the Mount was a, was a long teaching he records. They call it the next one, the missions discourse or the commissioning of the 12 disciples was a long teaching. The third discourse is Matthew records a kingdom parables discourse where he's teaching parable after parable after parable. And then there's a discourse on the church, a long teaching Jesus does. And then this last discourse, which includes Matthew 24, is called the Olivet Discourse. So it's during the Passion Week, Jesus comes out to the Mount of Olives and he does this long teaching. Not too long after this, this is just days before Jesus will be falsely convicted, beat, and crucified, and yet he is still teaching. He would um, talk about the temple when, when they were walking away the, from Jerusalem, the disciples were pointing out the temple, and, and he would tell them that, that it would be destroyed. And if you read earlier in chapter 24, he, he uses the term Daniel the prophet uh, coined the abomination of desolation and, and, how, and how the temple would be destroyed and it would be desolated and desecrated and, and, and painting this bleak picture to the disciples. They're looking at a temple. Remember last week, they're looking at a temple. They're looking at a Jewish people who had a whole bunch of leaves on the fig tree, but no no signs of bearing fruit. And Jesus, when they're walking out, he's pointing back to it. That thing's going to be destroyed. But he doesn't just stop there. He starts to tell them what it's going to look like when he returns. What it's going to look like when he comes back. Now, can I be... I think my wife already knows this, and I think I've said this here before. Um, when, when our kids were little, I would stay home with the kids once a week. And I don't know about any other dads in here, 
but I was really hoping to get a patch to put on a jacket that said, Dad of the Year stayed home with the kids once a week. All three of them, I did it, handled it all by myself. (laughs) Diapers, occasionally, but they made it, all of them, they made it, and they did exceedingly well. So I think at that time you were working part-time. Yeah, you're working part-time. So we kind of moved our days around and our schedule, and, and she would work three days a week. And, and one of the days she worked, I stayed home with the kids. And so I, I could anticipate her return. I knew she was coming home most days. I knew she was coming home. So, so here's what would happen. And, and if there's any other dads that I'm getting ready to blow it for, I apologize up front. If, but if I'm transparent, I just need to fess up about it and get forgiveness and, and let God cleanse me. We'd get up, have breakfast, and, um, and I would lay down on the couch. And the kids would play. The kids would destroy the house. I'd watch them from the couch. And then about five minutes before Beth came in the house, I would be a maniac screaming at the kids, clean it up, your mom's coming home. Clean it up. And we'd run around. Did you ever feel like that when you came home? Like they just got done cleaning. (laughs) Jesus is actually telling us don't live that way. Don't live that way where everything is a wreck and then you try to anticipate when Jesus is coming back. Don't don't lay around on the couch your whole life, fruitless, ignoring all the signs. I would even go so far as she would call me from her work, which I knew exactly how long it took her to get home from her job. Hey, hey, you're the best husband ever. That's usually how it would start. No? Um, Well, it's my story. Um, So, hey, best husband ever. I thought I would, um, I'm getting ready to leave the office, and I just thought I'd call you, tell you how much I love you, how great you are with the kids, and it's amazing that I got to marry you. And um, I'm on my way home. And I'd be like, yeah, oh, that's true. Um, and so here we are and I'd hang up and then I'd be like, we got 15 minutes. And I would still wait. Seems like sometimes in our lives, we are just waiting till we get the 10 minute countdown. Jesus, don't, don't mess up the main part of my life. Let me do whatever I want to do when I want to do it. And then when I see it get really bad, I'll knuckle down. When I see, when I turn the news on and the news anchor is saying, Jesus is on his way, then I'll get it together. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 24, 
you'll never figure it out. Matter of fact, he goes so far as to say, hey, if you had a, if you knew, if you knew a thief was coming to break into your house tonight, you would sit up. You'd paint your face. You'd get a gun out. You would get ready. You'd hide in the bushes. You'd do whatever it takes to be ready to defend that house. Amen? There's no chance you'd go to sleep at night. There's no chance you'd lay in your bed and lean over to your wife and say, hey, we're getting broke in tonight. Get some good sleep before it gets here. Then you'd say, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to get ready. We got to be prepared for this. Now, is Jesus coming to steal things? No, but he's trying to make a He's trying to make a hyperbolic point. If you knew in the middle of the night a thief was coming to do you harm, you'd be up and ready for that. How much more so for a savior coming to rescue you? How much more for the son of God coming back to redeem, coming back to rescue those? And Jesus starts painting a picture of what it would look like. Anybody ever heard the term same old, same old? Hey, how's it going with you? Same old, same old. What's that mean? It just means ain't nothing changed. Just the same thing day after day after day. Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I'm in a same old, same old season of my life. Anybody? All of you are just like, no, it's exciting every day. I don't know if I believe any of that. No, life lulls us into that, doesn't it? We like the predictable. We like showing up, knowing that everybody that I show up to work, they're all going to have good attitudes on Monday. And I like showing up to that. I like knowing that my workload on Monday is only going to be this much. And I know, like knowing I'm going to get off at this time. I like predictability. Anybody else? You like knowing. Predictable. We, we like... We like routines. We like getting into the middle of it and just, it's just easy. And we get, pretty soon you get kind of lulled into a sleep. Matthew records Jesus saying this in verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. Can you imagine living like that? Totally unaware the catastrophe was coming. I often think at times uh, for, for about five years, a big group of guys from the church uh, would go out to a place called Cape Lookout on the eastern shore of uh, North Carolina, the Outer Banks. It's the farthest landmass south on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and it is desolate. There's nothing out there. Now you do have a little bit of cell phone signal. So it was an hour drive on the sand to get to anywhere that could be remotely called shelter. And we would have, we had cell phones with a little bit of cell phone signal. So we could, we could see on the weather thing, storms coming. So we could anticipate when storms were coming and but there, I mean, there wasn't anything to do about it. You just get under your tent and get wet. But I often 
sitting out there on that remote island, I often thought, I wonder what it would have been like a hundred years ago, 200 years ago to be out on this island and not get a warning. We have literally left that island five hours before they evacuated it for a hurricane. I've been on that island with, with the waves coming up into your tent. I will admit, we, we put the tents kind of close to the ocean. But we woke up and there was water coming up in the tent. And we were like, all right, boys, it's time to pack up. We got off the island and then they evacuated everybody that day because a hurricane was coming. We got notice. Could you imagine 200 years ago being out there, just going about your everyday business and boom, a hurricane comes. No way to get off. Jesus is painting a picture saying, as in the days of Noah. Now we're going to get to some other characteristics of the days of Noah. But as in the days of Noah, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. They were just going around like it was there, like nothing was going on. The whole time Noah's building an ark. Nobody even knows why he's building it. What are you building that big, weird-looking house for, Noah? It's never flooded. We've never seen, wow, that thing, I don't even know what you're doing. Noah's running around getting ready for something. I'm getting ready. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be prepared. They're like, for what? Take a day off every now and then. Come come with us. It's like, God told me I got to get ready. I got to be ready for this. And then the flood comes and humanity is unprepared. They weren't even looking for it. Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so will it be. The routine of life causes us to become complacent. As in the days of Noah. I'm going to say this. The increase in wickedness is so woven into our daily routine, we don't even think about it. Can, can I just be an old fogey for a second? Anybody mind? All right. I grew up in the 80s, watching TV in the 80s. Anybody remember that? TV was fuzzy in the 80s. It was fuzzy. I, I remember there was a level, there was a, there, there was a level of stuff they would put on TV in the 80s. MacGyver. Remember how dirty that show was? Yeah. The A-Team. Oh, these are the things I grew up with. Now, I'm, I'm just, parents, listen to me. If I had little kids, I wouldn't even let them watch the commercials. I wouldn't let them watch the commercials. And I think, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did we go from 40 years? Ooh, did I just say 40 years? 40 years the church gets lulled into this thing. How did it happen? Just because we're just going about the daily routine. It's just so easy. It's just so easy. It's so easy. And then one day we, we turn on the TV and we don't even realize it. It just walked in the house. It became part of our daily routine as in the days of Noah. The people that were living in Noah's day did not even see the wickedness as wickedness. They didn't, it didn't even ring 
to them. It didn't even register with them. They're like, oh, we're so wicked. The church has been lulled into accepting all kinds of things in our society, all over the, the church, all over the world has. And how did it happen? Because we just got in the routine. We just kept turning it on, kept turning it on, kept turning it on. And, and finally the heat got turned up so hot. And we go, whoa, how did that happen? The increase in wickedness in Noah's day was enough for God to destroy the whole place. And Jesus is looking at the disciples saying, as in the days of Noah. So church, how do we know? How do we anticipate? How do we know we're closer to his coming? Because wickedness has increased to a level that we have yet to be, that is yet to be seen. Amen? And as the church, we can't just keep waking up every day going, ah, man, it's normal. It's normal. Our routines cause us to be complacent. The thing that's nerve-wracking is everything does seem normal until that day. Until that day when the rain starts falling. You go, something's happening that's not normal now. Everything in Noah's day was going on without interruption until that day. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus keeps teaching. He's teaching a parable of the, of the ten virgins who are, going to, who are going on a trip. And it says in Matthew chapter 25 verse 3, For the foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. They were anticipating it's, it's going to be, it, we know how long it's going to take and it's not going to be a big deal, but there was a delay in it, in, in, in the process and they didn't take enough oil with them. They weren't prepared. And here's what I want to tell you, church. When everything is normal, we tend to only prepare for the normal. Did you hear that? When everything's normal, we only prepare for the normal. That's why, listen to me. That's why it's so easy to have a crisis of faith. Because 90% of what we prepare for in our Bible readings and our studying is for God to keep it normal. So we love reading verses about like, oh, he'll provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. Lord, I stand on that verse every day, every day. Provide all my needs according to his riches and I need a new boat motor, Lord, in, in Jesus' name. I need, Lord, I, you know, you know, Lord, I'm going to just stand on this word. I'm going to stand on this word. Provide all my needs according to, and I'm going to stand on the fact that you'll give me peace, Lord. You'll give me peace because my boss is nasty. And we pray these self-centered prayers because why? Because we want to keep it normal. So all of our spiritual energy, all of our prayers to God are not about, Lord, help me persevere. Help me change the normal. Help me, help me stand out. Help me do something extravagant in your name. Help me be a, not, not just go along with the flow. We don't pray, pray things like that. We pray, Lord, keep it all normal. Lord, just keep, keep it normal, Lord. And as long as you keep it normal, I'll trust you. As long as you keep it normal, Lord, I'll trust you. But if I flip back all the way to the book of Job, 
Job's prayers after his whole life falls apart start sounding like this. Even if you kill me, I'll trust you. Job's prayer went from normal to unbelievably extravagant. Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what. I dare you in the middle of normal to tell God you'll trust him no matter what. Lord, I don't want to live a normal life. I don't want to just be the same every day just so there's no stress. Lord, I want a faith that can be tested. I want a faith that can stand up in the middle of chaos. I want a faith that can stand up in the middle of the worst storms. I want a faith that when, that when all hell breaks loose, it is still the foundation of who I am. Lord, I want a faith that if nothing stays normal, that I'm still good with you. Amen. Cause I'm going to tell you church normal will lull you to sleep. And then when the bad thing happens, you'll look up and go, God, why did you do that to me? You know what the difference between us and Noah is? Noah got ready for the bad one. Do you you realize that we have the whole Bible? We have more information than Noah ever dreamed of having. We have the whole word of God available to us every minute of every day. You can have, you can have anybody you want read it to you in your ears. And yet, as in the days of Noah, it will be true now. Not ready, not ready, not ready. I pray we will be a Noah-style church where you build an ark for your family. I didn't say a bunker. I said an ark. I'm going to tell you why it's not a bunker here in just a second. For those of you watching online, we are not starting a commune. We are not buying a whole bunch of land in West Virginia and all moving there. That is not good. That's not God's will. I just envisioned a whole bunch of people going, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. We're going to build a big fence. No. Living ready for that day looks different. Verse 42, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day the Lord is coming. Stay awake, because you don't know what day is coming. So how does a believer stay awake? I'm going to give you three verses Peter wrote down in his first letter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Did you hear that? Don't prepare your minds for normal. Prepared for action and being sober minded. That means you got to be clear headed. Be sober minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, be sober. Be sober minded. Set your minds for action. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, in the same letter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Man, if there's anything the world needs right now is a few self-controlled people. How about the church stop having road rage for once? 
just that would probably transform the country. If the whole country could depend on the church leaving on Sunday morning and not having road rage, they say, surely the Lord is in this place. How about the church start being self-controlled? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, get it together. Have a little self-control. I know. I'm not coming back to this church. Pastor picks on everybody. Therefore, be self-controlled, and here it is again, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You know what he's saying there? Don't pray unself-controlled prayers. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, same letter. Be sober-minded. You think there's a theme? Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's saying, don't be lulled into this trap that the world is offering us. Be watchful, be sober-minded. So living ready for the day Christ returns looks different. Our natural tendency is to drift into a sleep, to drift into sin. But we must be diligent to pray for the unnatural to happen in us. The power of the Holy Spirit to stay awake and vigilant. So it changes our priorities. Amen? It changes our priorities. I'm not striving for the same thing everyone else is striving for. Man, if I could just... I'm not... My goals aren't the same as everybody else's. Our love is different. My reason for loving people is different than everyone else's. Amen? Why do you forgive them so much? Because my motivations are different. I'm not going into relationships with the idea that I'll never get hurt. I'm going into that relationship with the idea that I will forgive. That's a different motivation. And our reward is different. It's time that the church stands up and realizes my reward is not only what happens on this earth. I am motivated by an eternal life with Jesus. Amen? That's why I remember the 90-year-olds when I was eight going, come quickly, Lord. Why? Because because they knew this is not my reward. Think, Think about this. Think about this. Think about this for a second. You do realize the only reward this life can give you is old age and pain. Can we be honest? Now, I know there's intermediate things in between, like, you know, like puppies Maybe you had a good career. Maybe you had a good marriage. Maybe you had great kids. Maybe you got great grandkids. Maybe you got great, great, great grandkids. I don't know. But listen, at the end of the day, what's the reward? 
At the end of the day, we work so hard. I'm not a fatalist. I think you should work hard. I think you should have kids. I think you should go for it on this earth because everything we put our hands to should be a reflection of our relationship with God. Amen? I think you should. But at the end of the day, if I put all my stock in this thing, here's what I'm going to get. I'm going to get the same thing you're getting. I'm going to get old, and it's going to hurt. I feel like it's already starting. I'm going to get old and it's going to hurt. And yet we will put every ounce of energy into making this thing last as long as we can. I'm going to get every ounce of pleasure out of it. And Jesus is saying, I didn't make you for here. I need you to live in such a way that you anticipate the next thing. I need you to live like a four-year-old going to their five-year-old birthday party. I'm turning five. This is the greatest day of my life. What if the church woke up one day and we said, we are anticipating the return of Christ and it changes every priority, every value in my life. I'm not living to get old. I'm living to get to the next thing. Where there will be no weeping. There will be no pain. Amen? We cannot afford to be lulled to sleep. The last thing. And here's why we can't build a bunker. I see how many preppers are in the building right now because nobody said amen. Because living ready includes doing. If we're going to live ready for his return, we have to be found doing things when he returns. Now, this is different than how I was watching the kids. Because having the house picked up was already an expectation. It was picked up when she left. Does that make sense? She didn't leave the house a wreck. So when she came back, there was no expectation the house would be a wreck. That is common sense, isn't it? So if I laid on the couch and she got home and I went, hey, the house looks good, doesn't it? Her response to me would be, it looked like this when I left. Are you following me? But I wanted a gold star for it. I gave you back what you left me. And I did it with three kids. You following me? Do you realize that same philosophy in the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25 got a guy condemned? I brought you back what you left me. I also need you to understand that a lot of times the parable of the talents is plucked out of Matthew chapter 25 and used in a context that it was never intended to be used for. If you, if you handle God's stuff well, he'll give you more stuff to handle. The truth of Matthew chapter 25 and the parable of the talents is Jesus is telling them, here's what I expect you to be doing when I return. Because he's writing it in light of chapter 24. 
So you come to chapter 24, he says, I'm coming back like a thief in the night. Like you better be ready. Like if somebody was getting ready to steal your stuff in the middle of the night, you'd stay up all night preparing and getting ready for that. Well, just like that, the son of man is getting ready to return. Then he goes into the the parable of the 10 virgins, and then he goes straight to the parable of the talents. What does he want to see us doing when he comes back? Not handing him something just the way he gave it to us, but he wants to see us multiplying it. What does that require? Work. What does it also require? Interaction with other human beings and not out of a periscope sticking out of the dirt. Because we can take this one of two ways. We can either take it, hey, we got to pack up the kids and head for the hills and bury ourselves in the ground and have food for 700 years. And, or we can say he's empowered us to live in a community to impact everybody around us. And I'll tear the fence down and I'll invite the neighbors over. I'll even invite their kids. Because the, the thing that he put in me, if I only returned what he put in me, that's not why he put it in me. He put it in me so that I could then go out and multiply it in his name. Amen? Never forget that. The gospel is never meant to be given to us in isolation and then returned in isolation. Look what I did with it, Lord. I didn't cuss my whole life. I stay true to you. Verse 46, blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, set him over all his possessions. If I have faith that Christ will return, that same faith will cause me to produce good things during the wait. During the wait. The band's going to come up. I'm going to leave you with this. You know what I started figuring out with the kids and my wife in the couch? You know what I started figuring out? Is if I, if I could return the house, when she came home, if I could give the house back to her the way she left it, but then have dinner ready. Oh, you know where this is going. And then have dinner ready. That means I had to start yelling at the kids at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like, I got to fix dinner too. You better. No, I just get them together and say, hey, listen, your mother's worked a hard day today. I mean, I have too. Don't forget that. But your mother's worked a hard day today. Hey, listen, let's clean up the house. Let's honor her. Let's clean up the house. But you know what? We're going to go over and above this one. We're not just going to clean up the house. We're going to give more of a return than she was expecting. So we're going to fix dinner as well. So when she gets home, I'm not just giving her back what she left with. Hey, your kids are still alive. I'm not just going to return what she left. I'm going to multiply what she left me. And I'm going to take that was entrusted to me 
and I'm going to multiply it so that when she returned, she walked in the house and went, you fixed dinner. And I'd go, mm-hmm. I did. And the kids are all still alive. Some of them got cuts, but they're going to live. Church, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have an existence that just makes it until he returns. When he shows up and I don't know what day it's going to be, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing. But I hope when he shows up, I'm like, I tried with what you gave me. I tried to have a faith that believed for more than just normal. Lord, you gave me so much grace. You gave me so much mercy. You put up with so much stuff. Here's what I did with it. Here's what I did with it, Lord. I refuse to back up. I refuse to lay down. I refuse to just give in to the the lull. I refuse to, I just try to go against it as hard. And and thank you, Lord, your Holy Spirit empowered me to do that. But, But I refused to just be normal until you came back. And here's the return I got. too many people just going to offer Jesus what he left them with. Read the parable of talents in Matthew chapter 25. And I believe we can stand up and be a church that offers him a return. Not just what he left with, but a return. Lord, we doubled what you gave us. We doubled it. We took all the fences down. We took all the barriers down. And we went out to the world, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we doubled, tripled, quadrupled what you gave us. Because we were staying up at night waiting on you to come back for us. We were staying up at night anticipating your return. We would not be lulled into a sleep like in the days of Noah. And when wickedness stuck its head up, Lord, we got all the more active. Because your grace breaks through all that stuff. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet. I want to pray with you like that. I don't know about you, but I'm praying that you'll never have another normal week as long as you live. That the Holy Spirit would not let you be lulled into sleep, but that you'd be aware, keenly aware, that the Son of God is going to return one day. And it's going to be a great and terrible day. And that we have a choice in the matter. That we can get up every day and decide to bring Him a return on what He invested in us. Amen? that same grace we can pass around to as many as possible. So, Father, we ask you to do that. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Put enough in us, Lord, to overcome whatever we're dealing with right now. Lord, to break out of this normalcy, to break out of this routine, Lord, and start to lean into you and start to trust you for the extraordinary. Lord, to see a return on your investment in us, in your name. We thank you, we give you honor and praise, and we lift your name this morning as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we say together, come quickly, Lord. We are looking forward to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, can you give it praise one more time, church? Hey, listen, encourage each other, and go do something abnormal this weekend in the name of Jesus. We'll see you back here next week.